0: This is Sports Psychology Today with Dr. Andrew Jacobs.
1: I cannot express the gratitude what my son came and visited you.
0: Dr. Jacobs has been in practice for 37 years as a sports psychologist. I have
2: seen a change in youth sports in the last 10, 15 years. I've talked about it a lot on this show.
0: Sports Psychology Today, the best advice on the radio each and every week.
2: Failure and losing and screwing up is something that happens in life, it happens in sports, and I think we have to teach kids how to do that more effectively.
3: This is where sports talk gets real. That word,
2: playing, it's gone from our society in a lot of ways with kids. And now,
0: here's your host, Dr. Andrew Jacobs.
2: Hello everyone, I am sports psychologist, Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Overland Park, Kansas. We're here every week. Talk about the mental side of sports. I love doing this show with you each week as we get into topics about sportsmanship and attitude and mental preparation and building and destroying self confidence, the coach athlete relationship, how you build a team. I've been on the radio now for 27 years and been in practice as a sports psychologist for 37 years in the Kansas City area. I've had the privilege of working with athletes at all levels of competition, from the Olympic team to professional teams, the collegiate level, high school. Use sports, have a private practice in Kansas City, and really love helping people because that's what I do. I try to help people accomplish their goals and feel good about themselves, and every week on this show, try to bring up topics and have discussions about sports, about the mental side, about what makes an athlete or a team tick, how do things work. And today, I am very privileged to have a lifelong friend in the studio with me known him since high school. We share the same birthday. He happens to be a little bit younger than I am. 20 minutes. 20 minutes, that's right. (laughs) (laughs) His name is Steve Fiziok. If you know sports, especially in the Kansas City area, you'll know Steve in the Midwest because Steve's been an announcer, a broadcaster since the 1980s. Uh, We both went to Shawnee Mission North High School, and I went on to Vanderbilt University. Steve went on to K-State, and we've stayed friends ever since. Uh, followed his career, which is just, just a remarkable career because of all the different things he's done. He's now an author. His book is called The Walls of Luca, and we'll talk about his book as well. But we're going to talk today about sports, about being on a team, what it's about, because Steve has had the privilege of being an announcer for NBA teams, collegiate teams, football teams, baseball teams, He's in locker rooms, he sees the athletes, he sees what goes on. And, and I want to talk with him, since we're both 63 years old, I don't have to ask you your age, <laughs> we, 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 we both have seen a change in sports. And we've seen, uh, I, what, what I've seen as a sports psychologist, if you listen to the show, you know I'm concerned about where youth sports is going, because we're pushing kids to get involved in sports at such younger and younger ages now and organized activities on teams where they're keeping score. It really bothers me. And I'm seeing kids getting, and Steve, we'll just start. I'm seeing kids in my office now at eight and nine years of age, which to me is almost ridiculous that they should be coming in, but they're coming in because they're stressed and burned out about playing their sport because they've been doing it since they were four. And, you know, it's like it's ridiculous to be keeping score at age five and six. You know, Norway, and I've talked about this on the show several times, won more medals in the Olympics, the Winter Olympics, than anybody. You know how many, how many medals they won?
0: It was a remarkable 30,
2: partic- 39.
0: Yeah, particularly for the population of that country.
2: The size of, the size of Detroit. Exactly. Where you go to broadcast baseball games. So 39 medals, 14 gold medals. You know what age they start keeping score in Norway in sporting events? I
0: read this story the other day. It was like 13, 14? Yes.
2: Yeah. They don't keep score until 13 or 14. So why is that? Why do you think that is?
0: I just think it's natural competition. Now, I can't answer it for Norway. I think it was structured by, obviously, good leadership. But I've always been drawn to team sports because I love the fact that when you physically see young people sacrifice their egos for others, For the unity, amazing things happen. I saw it at USC when Pete Carroll won a couple of national championships. I thought at UCLA when Jim Herrick won a national championship in basketball with Arizona when they won a national championship under Lute Olson in 1997. And of course, I saw it with the Angels in 2002 and the team building with the Royals in 2014 and 2015. That's what I've always been drawn to. But I do think there is too much attention to success early. And I think one of the strengths of Dayton Moore is that he is patient with his success. He wants more in development and having fun and being a good teammate first before uh, and allow a young man to grow in A ball, double A AA, and AAA. But to give you an example of what you were talking about, one of the greatest managers of all time I had a chance to work with, broadcast with for three years, Sparky Anderson, won championships with the Cincinnati Reds, won them with the Detroit Tigers. And he was talking about youth sports and he said, I think what we should do is go to a park with bats and balls and gloves and leave them on the field. And let the kids make the decision. And all of the parents leave. Get in their cars and leave. And if the kids want to climb trees, let them climb trees. If they want to uh, fish for crawdads in the creek and the nearby park, let them fish for crawdads. And if they want to pick up bats and balls and gloves and play a game, let them pick up the bats and balls and play a game. But let it be their decision. I think a lot of times wait, wait, there's, When there's was two, that? When was that? Oh, when this was 19... 19- 96, 7, and 8, I worked with Sparky, and I learned more from this gentleman about community, about team building, about understanding people, about communication. Um, But a lot of it with Sparky was about understanding the individual. He said there was a great difference in Kirk Gibson, the great outfielder, and the drive that he had and what he needed to to inspire Kirk than there was for Lou Whitaker, who was a young man who was born... Uh, his father had left. Uh, he, he, he His mother had to work two, three jobs. So he wasn't given the love that he needed. And Sparky said, I gave Lou Whitaker an enormous amount of love, and he played his tail off for me. And he goes, it's about people. It's about extending that love and not expecting anything back. But he goes, so many times that love would be given back tenfold, and, and individuals would come together to form great championships like he experienced in uh, – with the Cincinnati Reds winning back-to-back championships and with the Detroit Tigers.
2: I have a saying, a good coach is a good psychologist. A bad coach needs a sports psychologist. <laughs> you like that one? Yes, I do. Obviously, Sparky Anderson was not a good coach. He was a great coach. He was a great manager. Great teacher. He, well, and that's that's where I want to go with this because I asked you when that was. You said 20 years ago. Okay. So 20 years ago, he had the vision to see what's going on with youth sports. Because today, you don't see that very much. You don't see a bunch of kids at a park playing without adult supervision. You don't see kids at a playground playing without coaches telling them what to do. The idea of play has gone in many aspects from our society. You and I grew up. We'd go up to the grade school. We'd play with our friends. Used to play basketball in my driveway. Nobody told us what to do. We just played. That doesn't happen much anymore because there's always an adult supervising. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and my guest this morning is Kansas City Royals broadcaster Steve Fiziok. He's been a broadcaster for all kinds of teams college, professional, in Cincinnati, in California, in Kansas, all over the place. And he's joining me today to talk about his perspective. He's also written a book called The Walls of Luca, which we'll talk about in a little bit, and, and, the, and the thought behind that book and the, and the message he's trying to share. Our phone number here is 913. 913- Three eight ten eight ten. If you'd like to give us a call, talk to Steve Izziak. Talk to myself, Doctor Andrew Jacobs. It was a great opportunity to give us a call. I'd like to hear from you. We're going to talk about team building today. We're going to talk about Steve's perspective as a broadcaster because he is around, and, and, and Steve has a unique position to be in locker rooms to see what goes on, to interview athletes and coaches, to interview the, the front office. I'm formerly the team psychologist for the Kansas City Royals and. I left when Steve actually came on the next year, so we've both been there successively and seen the, the success of this organization and how it's achieved its goals. And one of the things I want to talk with him about is is this whole team-building aspect because he sees it, and he's seen the changes that come along come along with this as a, as a broadcaster, but he's observing everything. So Steve, in many ways, is a psychologist also. So our phone number here is we We'd like to hear from you if you have a question for us. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is the Sports Psychology Hour. Give us a call, and let's talk. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. This is the Sports Psychology Hour, and we're broadcasting live from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in the Kansas City area. And today, I have a guest in the studio with me. His name's Steve Fiziok. He's one of the broadcasters for the Kansas City Royals, and Steve and I have known each other back since high school. And... He has an extensive experience in his profession, broadcasting, because he's he's done collegiate and professional games, football, basketball, baseball. He's been doing the Royals now for several years. He's broadcasted the Reds games, the Angels games, the A's games. He's been all over the Padres. He's, he's done all all kinds of broadcasting in, in, in different cities. And Steve, let, let, let's talk about this issue, the, the issue of building a team. You see how teams are built, you see how they fall apart. What's your perspective from both areas? Because you're broadcasting, and, and let's let our listeners understand, as a broadcaster, you have a unique perspective because you're talking to the fans, but you also have to get to know the athletes and the coaches and the administrators. You need to understand the psychology of the team. So even though I'm a sports psychologist, you, in a sense, are a psychologist too because you have to analyze and interpret everything that's going on and then put it into words and share it during a broadcast.
0: I came on in 2012 with Rex Hudler, and we had been the broadcasters for the Angels. But for uh, several years, quite frankly, it all goes back to leadership and the Glass family, when they hired Dayton Moore, I think they made a great decision, and they were also patient with their success. They had a plan. They didn't waver from that plan. And even before Rex and I took the job in 2012, we saw what was taking place in Kansas City, the drafting of the right athletes, the developing of the right athletes. We're talking the Moustakas, the Hosmers, and also signing players like Salvador Perez or Yordano Ventura, um, and, and then developing them and then allowing them to grow and have success at the A-ball level, the double-A level, the triple-A level. And those athletes would tell Dayton Moore and the Glass family when they were ready, but they were building, and they were learning how to win together. So when they got to the major leagues, they had already won. They knew what it was going to take, and they knew they had to be patient with their success.
2: When Dayton Moore hired me in 2008 the All-Star break to be the team psychologist, when I worked at the team for four years until you came on,
0: he told me the same thing, and he had that vision. I remember he sat down with me one day. And fans don't always want to be as patient as management, but but that's why I go back to the Glass family. They allowed Dayton's plan right. to come to fruition. And thank goodness that we stayed patient with them because look at the joy this entire community experienced in 14 and 15.
2: He told me it was going to be about 2013, 2014. Yep. This is in 2008. Right. I remember the, this, the conversation. About that time is when he saw everything coming together. He's a man with tremendous vision. I respect him immensely. Uh, he understands what's going on, he understands people, and, and he's a, a good person. You know, a lot of people in baseball, I don't think you can say are good people. Right. There are a lot of people that aren't, but he is
0: one. We, an exceptional, he's an exceptional person. If you can say one word about our organization, it is integrity. And uh, that's what. particularly at the age I am, it is wonderful to work for an organization that is about integrity. And that's why I think the community is so proud of what the Royals have accomplished and why they'll be patient again to watch this project grow.
2: So let me ask you. You've seen teams succeed. You see how the athletes participate in it. We're both 63 years old. We, we grew up at the same same time, obviously went to school together. What's different now, Steve, from your perspective in, in athletes today than, say, 15, 20 years ago? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have my own perspective, but I
0: want to hear what you say about it. Or, are, or, or is there no difference? I think... Because of the immediacy, and I'm talking about social media, the the knowledge we want, we want success too fast. And success does not come that way. It comes through discipline and patience and um, intestinal fortitude. How do you handle failure? And that's why I think baseball is the greatest sport in the world, because so much of it is mental. How do you turn the page? How do you let go of the bad? And quite frankly, that's what um, my book The Walls of Luke is about, where much uh, despair has taken place with the characters in the book. How do they handle the the, the failure, the, uh, the the tragedy they see in World War One? And in this case, with an athlete... What do you do when you struggle? Like Alex Gordon, when he didn't make it at first, and the Royals sent him down, and they said, Alex, we're going to have you change positions. We'd like you to go to left field. Now, Alex had to let go of his ego, and he had to work at at left field. But he, and but- he became the best left fielder in baseball because of his release of the ego to work on his craft and, and, and be a, a great teammate. But, but it comes with the confidence that management has in you. It comes with the, the confidence that... Dayton Moore had him, and Ned Yost and his staff, and also the ability to let go of the bad. In this case, it may have been the first time that Alex Gordon had ever failed in his life, but he became an all-star after that to let because go. Because he
2: doesn't, because, yes, and I was the psychologist when all that went on, mm-hmm. and I have the utmost respect for Alex Gordon. He is a consummate team player. He never complains, never moans and groans. He goes out and does his job. Nobody works as hard as him. I no. think you'd agree with me on that. No. He's at Almost the sta- too hard. He's at the stadium <laughs> before everybody else he gives her you know people have been critical of him the last couple of years cuz he hasn't hit well he's been he's probably been playing hurt all the time cuz he's has a lot of pride and now this year he's he's doing well and i wish nothing but the best for him cuz i i think the world of the guy he as i said he he's a team player across the board now you see teams succeed and fail when failure, and, and, and I've talked about this forever on my show, the 27 years I've been on the radio, I talk about failure. How do you learn from failure? In my in our book that I wrote with Jeff Montgomery and Pete Malone, Just Let Them Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and Athletes Through Youth Sports, our third chapter is called Embracing Failure Can Lead to Fun. To go back to what we started with the kids, I don't think we teach kids how to fail very well anymore. No, you're right. You know, it's all about winning. It's all about succeeding. It's all about beating somebody instead of about When you fail, because you're going to screw up and fail, what did you learn from that? How do you get better from it? It shouldn't be about the score, the result. It should be about the experience and what you're learning. And so for me, when you screw up and when you fail at eight, instead of being yelled at by a coach because you struck out, the coach should sit down, okay, son, let's – young lady playing softball. What do you think happened at that at bat? Why do you think you struck out? Instead of getting mad at them, ask them if they can learn from it because that will build
0: confidence. I remember when uh, my son was in Little League, and he, um, he actually went through an entire season without striking out. But I do remember him getting to first base after he walked, and the count was 3-2, and two and I was the first base coach. And he said, Dad, I was so nervous because I thought I was going to strike out. And I said, Kevin, get used to it because you're going to strike out a lot on the baseball field and in life, but it's how you handle that. And that was just a little moment I remember him, and I wanted him to r- remember that with success, the, the real satisfaction is the trial and the tribulation that you went through to get to that moment. I mean, when we got here in 12 and 13, we saw some struggles, but that team had um, uh, a togetherness, uh, a esprit de corps that you knew they were going to have success. And I always remember in 2015 talking with Dayton Moore in July, and I said, Dayton, we're good enough. We are going to win the American League Central, but we probably need more pieces to win a world championship. And he said, Fizz, I'll get those guys. But I won't do anything that will upset the chemistry we currently have in the clubhouse. And, of course, he gets Ben Zobrist and Johnny Cueto and Johnny Gomes and the, and the Royals win that championship.
2: I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest this morning is Kansas City Royals broadcaster Steve Fizziok. We're talking about team building. We're talking about success and failure in sports. If you'd like to give us a call, our number is 913 810 This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Talk to you soon. Hello again, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. and from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm here every week, and we talk about the mental side of sports on this show. And today I have a guest in studio. His name is Steve Fiziok. He is one of the broadcasters for the Kansas City Royals, has been a sports broadcaster for over 30 years. Steve and I went to high school together. We share the same birthday. We have a lot in common, and uh, I couldn't have a better person on with me to be kind enough to come in here and, and talk with me today about sports, and we have a caller on the line we're going to go to in a moment. You know, Steve, I mean, it's just great talking with you again, as, as we always do when we see each other, but your perspective about team building and about teams is, is really interesting, because you see it from a different angle than pretty much everybody else. You know, fans look at it from one perspective. We want to win the game, at least professionally, and the athletes see it from another perspective. It's their it's their job, it's their living. You're looking at it from the entertainment perspective as well
0: as from from the team building perspective. Yeah, my job is to not only entertain but to inform, to describe the action on the field. But do I get caught up in the clubhouse and uh, enjoying watching these guys grow? And these are all young men who, who quite frankly, could be my children. But to see the um, The unity, and and this past road trip, we had the father's brother's trip, and it was awesome to talk to the dads about their sons and what they went through, and part of what they saw and why they had success. Um, A lot of times, it was the father just getting out of the way and letting the kid have fun, and that's why, whether it's Brad Keller or Burt Smith or Jason Hamill, what they experienced growing up, Ian Kennedy, I've had a lot of conversations with his pop, who's a great guy, and... How they allowed them to play other sports and have fun and not get in their way. Um, I know you've got a, a phone call, but a lot of it has to do with that, how we um, think of others. And uh, that's when success usually well, happens.
2: Well, and, and we're going to let's take this call and we'll come back to that conversation because I want to comment on that. Let's see what Steve has to say. Steve, good morning, sir. How are you? Steve, are you there? Steve, are you there? There you are.
1: There we go. You hear me?
2: Yes, sir. Go ahead.
1: A hey, gentlemen! Great segment this morning. I love it. Thank the you. The fact that you two went to the same school and same birthday—I've got some questions about that. Any chance to share with the same mother? <laughs> yeah. uh, no, no, different.
2: I—he's he, met. Uh, he, I've met his mother, and, and she's not mine because I know who mine is. <laughs> go, go ahead. <laughs>
0: hey,
2: Although we—we uh, we both were uh, born on the East Coast. Yes, we oh, were. I, lo-
1: I love it, man. I had the pleasure. I'm a local small town business owner in town here, and I love this segment. It just it struck a chord with me. I don't typically call I'm more of a listener, but my daughter last year, you know, their soccer team, you know, and this is at age of eight, uh, you know, they just they continue to win, and they we've, we're we're lucky enough to have a great coach who keeps the parents on the sidelines, tries to just be more encouraging than anything else, which I agree with. One hundred percent, And then growing up as a son of a coach who coached basketball, so I got a chance to see locker rooms and teams and how they handled winning and losing, and, you know, the professional way of doing things. And so back to the 8-year-old girls, they were winning games that were just unbelievable. I mean, they I kind of keep track. I believe in winning and losing, but I, I believe there's a method. You know, when you lose, you've got to do it with pride and dignity and respect. And this year, he's jumped the girls up a complete age group, so all the other girls they play are a foot taller. The beginning portion, probably the first five games this year, they were getting beat fourteen to one, or fourteen to zero, or twelve to zero. And to watch these girls take defeat when they were used to just nothing but winning was really something special, man. I mean, I loved it. I love seeing it. I think it's important because in business, we fail. Uh, as, as husbands and wives, you, we make mistakes. Nobody's perfect. And I, I, just, I think you're right on. I think that needs to be taught at a young age because there's, there's really not too many things that are worse in life than being a sore loser or seeing somebody that throws that temper tantrum or starts kicking and throwing things in the dugout when they're a kid. It's, just, it's not anything you want to see. You feel bad as a fan. You feel bad as a parent. And that's just—I I just don't think that's where it's at. So. Well, I, I guys, agree. I agree you guys with you, just hit Steve. Home with it, man. I, I agree.
2: Take it. I agree with you, Steve. And see, the thing to me is, I talk about success and failure versus winning and losing, because I—I I, I feel very strongly that this whole issue of score at such an early age is—is is irrelevant. I think it's about how you succeed and how you fail. Yeah. C- Go c- ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I, mean,
0: I, I, I completely agree. And, I completely. Agree. let me uh, tell you my experience. I'm, I'm a grandfather now, and I have three granddaughters, uh, Taylor, Elliot, and uh, Grayson, seven, five, and two. And I encouraged my daughter to coach them in soccer. And she said, Dad, I don't know the, the rules of soccer. Yes, I played, and I played pretty well, but I don't understand. And I said, no, Ryan, I said, at that age here's what is most important you care about children and that is the greatest strength that will make you an excellent coach Absolutely. And I said the whole key your whole key when I was when I coached my daughter and my son uh, in youth sports, my whole goal was, to have every member of that team leave the practice and want to come back, that they had such a good time. It wasn't about swinging and hitting a baseball and driving it forever. It was about unity. It was about enjoying each other's company. If a kid wanted to sit on the, uh, on the, on the grass in right field and pick dandelions, that was fine with me. <laughs> I didn't care about the score, but it's about those young people wanting to get exercise. And I, tell my, I t- told my kids growing up, I said, there are three muscles there are three areas of growth, the mental, the physical, and the spiritual. And unless you yeah. work on all three every single day, and I exercise those muscles every single day, I don't think you're a complete person. And that's why when I get up every morning, I start my day in prayer. Then I go and I work out, and then I study for the ball game, or I uh, sit down and, and, and write a book that I've just released lately, um, but I think what's when a, what's you're a, what's working a, what's with young what 's the book called? The, the book, book call is it? called "The Walls of luca." it 's about in a sentence it 's a spiritual woman helps break down the barriers between two families trying to produce a great wine in italy 's dark times of World War I and the rise of fascism. but it 's also sure. about team building it 's about uh, a young lady that uh, works with these characters, all who have experienced failure or troubles or tragedy in their lives, and how you let go. Of the worries and the doubts and it's much like sports where where I watched the Royals grow in 12 and 13 they had to get rid of doubts and fears and troubles that had haunted them for three decades before they could finally come together and come through and there are so many moments um, in the 14 and 15 season that I go back to that were that were about leaving your ego in the locker room coming out and playing together, and I saw such joy in that 14 and 15, and they're going to do it again. We as a community just have to be patient with the organization as they Well, do I that. think
1: patience is big. Patience is big, whether it's you're dealing with adults or professionals or even, or even children. You've got to have patience. I think that, tw- that 2012-13 team, I mean, those were all players that had come from winning teams, whether it was the minor leagues or colleges mm-hmm. or well, whatever. A, they hadn't experienced con- losing a whole lot.
2: Well, you have to learn how to lose, Steve, and that's the thing. Yeah. Listen, sir, thank yeah. you for your call this morning. We really appreciate it.
1: Hey, have a great day, guys.
2: Okay, thanks for listening. You know, this is a topic we'll get into in our last segment here, the whole winning and losing in sports and, and the theme of your book about, you know, what what, what that's about. But I, I think the key thing is understanding the mental part. Right. If you can understand the mental part, it's going to get you through it. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. My guest this morning, Kansas City Royals broadcaster Steve Fiziok. We're talking about... Well, we're really talking about life. Yeah. We're talking about life and how to succeed, how to fail, how to deal with these issues. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, give us a call. Our number is 913-3810-810. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is the Sports Psychology Hour. Hello, everyone. I am sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs, and this is the Sports Psychology Hour from our flagship station, Sports Radio 810 WHB in Kansas City. I'm here every week, and we talk about the mental side of sports on this show, and today I have a guest in the studio. His name is Steve Fiziok. He is one of the broadcasters for the Kansas City Royals. We've known each other since 1969 in the fall when we both entered high school. And I'm privileged to have him join me today and talk about his perspective. He's, he's seen everything in sports. He's been at all levels of it as a broadcaster. He's observed success and failure. He's seen how athletes handle adversity. He's seen how people deal with life. And that's why Steve's here today. Right, if you'd like to give us a call, our number is 913-3810-810. And Steve, like myself, is also <laughs> an author. My book called Just Let Him Play, Guiding Parents, Coaches, and athletes Through Sports. You can get it on my website, winnersunlimited.com. Co-wrote with Kansas City Royals Hall of Fame closer Jeff Montgomery, one of your fellow broadcasters. And Olympic swim coach Pete Malone, who coached five gold medals in the Olympics. Uh, Steve has written a book, I have it right here, called The Walls of Luca." And he has given me my copy. It's a lot longer than my book. It's going to take me a lot longer to read it, but I'm excited to read it. So tell us, Steve,
0: about this book and what brought, brought this on, and why did you write this? You're busy enough as it is. I, I am busy, but as you know, I spend a lot of time on the road. And one of my passions is reading. And, uh, you know, through the years I've read authors like Kenneth Roberts or John Steinbeck, and lately it's been Diana Gabaldon and The Outlander. Hold on series. one
2: second. Your passion's reading. We had different English teachers in high school.
0: Oh, I had Carolyn Jeter, and she won two-time uh, right. we had Teacher different. of the Year, and I only got a C+, was the best grade I ever received on her English class, and here I am trying to write a novel. But I've always been a reader, and I've always thought, can I do that? Well, anyway, my wife and I were vacationing in uh, Italy in 2006, and we traveled around to Rome and Naples and Florence and uh, Venice and hiked the Cinque Terre, but we got to a town called Luca, Italy, in, uh, at the end of a, the last week, and joined other friends there in a villa north of uh, the walls of Lucca. And I started doing research about the history of the walls, and they are. Three different walls over 2,000 years, pre-Christian, medieval, and the Renaissance walls. And the walls you can walk on today took 105 years to build because Lucca was at one time at the end of the silk trade and was the number two banking capital in all of Europe. So they had an enormous amount of money. Well, when you have money, what do you want? You want to make sure you defend what is yours. So they built these massive walls. I thought you were going to say when you have money, you want more money. Well, no, they wanted to defend their money. So they built these walls. And so... What they did, I mean, the you can bring soldiers through the walls. You can store ammunition. They're wide enough to drive two 18-wheelers, and they ring the city for 4.2 kilometers. In over 2,000 w- years, these walls have never been attacked. No one has ever attacked Luca Italy. And I thought, okay, here, here comes the psychobabble. Do we as human beings do the same? Do we build these invisible walls around us to protect us from fears or failure that may take place? when, in fact, no one is attacking us. So I have a vineyard north of town, wine owner rich, winemaker poor. They live on the same property. They uh, are, have the same goal, which is to produce a great wine or to grow olives and have success in the oil in industry. But they all have fears. The wine owner, his father, was very emotionally uh, uh Demeaning to him, and all he wants to do is produce a wine that's better than his father's. Though his his wife is uh, all about the ego, materialistic possessions, power. She wants to be part of the rise of the fascism, um, and she has an affair with uh, a fascist. The Winemaker is a young man who is conscripted into the war and sees much tragedy and comes back and just wants to lose himself in the vines and the olives. And there's a young lady who uh, also works in the vineyard whose husband has been killed in action, and now she is the winemaker and has to take over. And it's all of their fears and their worries about trying to uh, just keep a job or get away from the misery that you saw in the war. Well, how do you let go of those fears and those worries So you can collectively come together to produce a great Sangiovese wine. And my protagonist is a woman named Isabella, who is a woman of great spiritual conviction. And not the war, not the rise of fascism, and Mussolini can knock her off of her strength and quest. And she's the one who helps these two families come together so they can produce a great wine in a difficult time.
2: Interesting. I'm excited to read this because... What I'm hearing you say is, is in part, a lot of what I work with people on when I sit down privately in, in individual sessions, it's about passion, it's about conviction, it's about honesty, it's about heart, right? it's about what's inside, and what do you want, what are your goals, what are your expectations, what are your fears, how do you overcome these things, and about honest
0: communication with yourself. And I, I think that sounds like a lot of what the theme of your book is about. It is, and it is interesting on the athletes that you and I have both seen who have incredible talent and don't make it to the top. And then there are young people who we've seen who have very little ability and who have won world championships. I'll give you an example. David Eckstein. He won a world championship with the Angels in 2002, and he won a world championship with the St. Louis Cardinals. And this guy has extremely limited athletic ability, but his mind is so strong, he never let anybody's doubt, or struggles, or his lack of physicality, um, interrupt him from his goal, which well, was to play major league baseball.
2: One of my sayings is, "You can have two athletes who are physically the same, but the one with the stronger mind will be the one to come out on top."
0: Let's let's go back to the phones. Let's see what
2: Brian has to say. Brian, good morning. How are you?
3: Hey, good morning. Well, I was. Um, I, I'm a grandpa, so I got 14 grandkids, and I'm now getting my second whack at all this. And I got a Dominican family. I got. Uh, they just moved here from Kansas City, and the biggest thing I heard them say. Dominican mother was. Why aren't the kids just playing? Why aren't we? Keep, why are we keeping score? I just want them to have fun. Smart um, lady. Yeah, I know, I know. And and as you know, the Dominicans play baseball.
0: <laughs> yeah, they can but, really play baseball, and they're very good.
3: Yep, they are. And I've got a little eight-year-old grandson. Just loves baseball, and uh, and he's got the talent, but the love. And I, we're on the other end of that. Thirty to one 22 to two, and and I had a grandson two years ago. That was on the opposite side of that, keeping the score. I wish they wouldn't keep score. Um, there, John Maxwell has a great book out for teens. Uh, it's Sometimes We Win, Sometimes We Learn. And I, I, I love that concept of just teaching. The coach said last night when my granddaughter softball team was getting beat, I don't know what to do to coach. and, and Well, I, if I can that, answer
2: that, Brian, I yeah. just to plug myself, he needs to read my book. Okay, oh yeah, because I, our I, I bu- agree. our book it talks all about that. Just let him play. Go ahead.
3: A- absolutely, absolutely. After you mentioned that earlier, I thought that rang my bell, and I'm thinking I'm going to suggest that after the after the day for him. <laughs> but hey, guys, I appreciate you. I appreciate the announcing that uh, you do for the Royals. Uh, I love the Royals. I, I, I too learned a lot of lessons in that run uh, on what was going on, and wrote a lot of stuff. I do a, a leadership conference stuff, and I took some lessons from the Royals too. So. I appreciate you this show, and I appreciate you, Doc. Uh, I love your concept, and, and I love uh, where you're coming from uh, with these kids. Uh, we just went out and played. It was funny. We went out on a football field, started hitting fly balls. The next thing I knew, I had 25 kids out there with me catching fly balls, playing $5, and that was the way baseball
2: should be. Well, Brian, that's why the name of our book is called Just Let Them Play, Not Just Let Them Win. You thank, bet. thank you for your call, sir. Appreciate it. You take care. You bet. What do you think about that, Steve?
0: I think it's awesome because it gets back to what we were talking about—just having fun. And when you and I grew, grew up, we didn't have that parental uh, supervision all the time. Um, we, when, when we moved from New Jersey, my dad had gone bankrupt. With five kids, we moved to to our grandparents' house in uh, right off of it, next to Antioch Park. And I remember bending back the fence and going underneath the fence at the age of like seven and eight, and wandering off to Antioch Park and climbing all over without any parental supervision. And, of course, you're having these um, fantasies in your mind of, like, an adventure. You're you're in World War II, you're Marine, and you're only seven, eight years old. But you didn't have this parental supervision, which allowed you to, to dream. Well, there's two things going on today as we
2: wrap things up in the show today. Uh, you know, when you and I grew up, safety issues weren't the concern they are today. Right. Okay, They're, they were a concern, but... Yeah, I would take off. I remember I get on my bike and I re- went to a creek with friends and we catch crawdads all day. Turkey Creek. Yeah, we we just do these things. Nobody nobody worried about that. You know, my mom would say, "Just be back and get some lunch." I was seven. When or it eight. gets
0: dark, make sure you get back right. in time for dinner. But
2: today that doesn't happen. You've got safety issues, but you've also got this whole helicopter parent issue. You've got the control issues. There are a lot of things. Of course, we could be talking forever on these things want to wrap things up this morning. It, it's been wonderful having you here with me today. It's, 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 it's always great to see you. Your book, The Walls of Luca, has a message. In, in one minute, sum it up before we wrap things up for the show.
0: Well, yes, it's about two families trying to produce a great wine, but it's also about faith lost, faith found. All of these people lose their faith, and whether it's in their Catholic faith or, or it's in faith in people, faith in leadership because of the failed leadership that uh, this young man sees in World War I, he loses his faith completely. Well, how do you get it back? It's much like baseball. When you struggle, how do you get that back? So it's about forgiveness, letting go of the bad, and, and focusing on the good. Luca, You can go to Amazon Books. Just type in Steve Physiak, The Walls of Luca, and it will come up. And it's on Kindle and also paperback. Where do people get a hold of you? How can they reach you, Steve? Well, they can reach me, uh, Twitter, Steve Physiok, or they can uh, um, go to my website, Spell which Steve people dot people. Com, P-H-Y-S-I-O-S-A. I do have a website that we just started called com, and it's about uh, the book and how I uh, created it.
2: My friend, friend for life, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, It's been awesome talking to you. Great to see you. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Great story today. Encourage your friends to listen to our podcast. You can hear it here at Sports Radio 810 WHB. My website, winnersunlimited.com. You can reach me there at DRJ at winnersunlimited.com. Follow me on Twitter at, at DRJ Sports Psych. Our shows are podcasted on my website, and you can also get them off my Twitter handle at DRJ Sports Psych. They're on there. I want to thank Steve Physiak for joining me today. It's been a great, great interview. Like I said, we, we share the same birthday, grew up together. Wonderful guy. And it's been a pleasure talking to you, Steve. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Andy.
2: This is the Sports Psychology Hour. I'm sports psychologist Dr. Andrew Jacobs. Talk to you next week.